So it's uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, if you open your Bibles. And um, why don't we pray before we read God's words? Let's pray quickly. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we can read your word, that you revealed yourself to us in your word. And Father God, we just pray that you would um, convict us, that you would change our hearts today and open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear your word and be changed by it and transformed by it for the glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy, in his holy people and his incomparably great power for, who, for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Okay, I mentioned this at the start of church, but if you are visiting today, um, you've picked a very good week to visit church, particularly if you're looking for a church to settle into, because today and next week, we're talking about who we are as a church and what we do as a church. So that puts you on the fast lane to understand who we are and what we do. But having said that, um, the sermon today and next week, it's actually for the regulars. It's actually for those who have committed themselves to Kenmore uh, Pentecostal Church or Presbyterian Church, whichever. Um it's the, if, whether you're new, feel like you're still new around church, been around forever, or whether you're one of the founding members, we need to be clear on who we are as a church, who we are and what we're doing. I think it's important to be clear on who we are for lots of reasons, but one reason is when things go south, when things become difficult, when you hit challenges, you're more likely to be able to press through those challenges. Because I think as a church, we should expect disagreements disappointment perhaps when things don't go the way we thought they would or wanted them to go or maybe personality personality clashes. If we're clear on who we are and clear on what we're doing, we've got much more chance of being able to work through those challenges rather than packing it in and walking away. Um, it's important to be clear on who we are for lots of other reasons too. I reckon it's important to be clear on who we are and what we're doing so that we don't get distracted by things which in the scheme of things are relatively unimportant and may not matter. Um, we're less likely to drift along aimlessly as a, as a church if we're clear on who we are and what we're doing. Um, and if we are clear, 
then we can work out where we can serve more easily. If we understand who we are as a church, understand what we're doing together as a church, then you've got far more chance of working out, yeah, that's where I can serve. That's how I can be helpful in the scheme of things. Far more chance of being able to be active and serving around church. Being clear on who we are as a church, it is important to help us keep working together. On the other end of things, if we're vague and iffy and wobbly and unclear, then that's when I think you can expect more disillusionment, disappointment, disagreements, distractions, and all those other nasty diswords. So start of a new calendar year as far as church goes. Let's be clear on who we are um, as a church. And I trust that if you're someone who's been around for a while, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I've heard this before. I hope you have, because if it's markedly different from last year, then we weren't too clear last year, were we? So let's see how we go. Um, first thing is the definition. So when we use the, the word church, it's a little bit ambiguous, isn't it? Because we talk about a church building as a church, and we talk about the church people as a church. So you've got a kind of a, a clash there. We talk about um, the people that meet in a church building as a church. Um, we are a funny case this morning where we're a group of people, a group of Christians at church. We're not meeting in a church building, but we're still a church. So you've got two different ways of using the word. I reckon um, when you look through the pages of the Bible, what you most often find translated church is the word for gathering, word for gathering of people. I know that's uh, this is a fairly obvious point, but the word gathering reflects people gathered rather than a building. It's a fairly obvious point, but seriously, there are people who get distracted from this. There are people who will uh, choose their church based on the building or based on the location of the building. Um, Churches, the building is the rain shelter that lets us gather and lets us be church. Um, There's other churches that that can put owning a building over and above caring for the congregation. It's sad, but it happens. So the word most often used or translated church in our Bibles is a word for gathering. When we think of church as a gathering, we're not thinking just any gathering. Um, We're not thinking the kind of gathering you might see at the bus stop or a park run or a birthday party. We're thinking a gathering of Christians. And we're not thinking a gathering of Christians at a birthday party. We're thinking a gathering of Christians around Jesus. That's what makes us a church. Our gathering is all about Jesus. That's why we meet. It's all about him. When we were at um, Bible college, we were told church is a gathering around Jesus, clothed in his word, clothed in the gospel. Church is a gathering around Jesus, clothed in the gospel. And again, this is not rocket science. It's simple. It's who we are as a church. But there are churches that become distracted by other things. Church becomes, for people in the congregation, all about the music or all about the morning tea that now we can't have in COVID, so there's no need to go to church anymore. That's We can so easily be distracted. Church is about Jesus. We are a gathering around Jesus clothed in his word. Um, the, these are basic things, but they're important things. When Christians gather, there'll be people among us, when we gather for church, there'll be people among us who aren't Christians, and that's a great thing, but they're visitors. They're here visiting church with those who are gathered around Jesus clothed in his word. 
it's another simple kind of definitional thing, but churches get this wrong too. It's a common and well-meaning mistake to, to run your church service for the visitor, for the outsider, in the hope that they'll become a Christian. It's well-meaning. You can see the intent. Um, back in the day, they used to call it seeker services, where the whole service is run for the outsider, the seeker, the person who... But if you substitute church with an evangelistic meeting, which is what that's doing, the, the wheels start to fall off. You're not caring for the Christians who are gathering. It's not who we are by definition. There's, um, I know there's some Presbyterian churches, even in our state, who choose to structure their preaching program for the outsider. So they wouldn't, for example, look at one Kings or two Kings like we did last year, because that's just inaccessible to the, to the new believer or the, the want to be visitor. But church is a, a gathering of Christians. It's a gathering of people who are wanting to live for Jesus and are seeking to live for him. And if you're a visitor in church, we want you to see what church really is. Sure, we may run evangelistic events, but in the end, church on Sunday is Christians gathered around Jesus, clothed in his word. Um, when you have visitors into your home, you'll tidy the place up, won't you? If, you, if they're staying over the night, you might um, set up a mattress on the floor for yourself, more likely for one of the kids, so they could fit in. You, you, you reshape your home for your visitor. But we would all think you're a bit odd if you did that all the time when you didn't even know if anyone was going to come to visit. Let's not do church that way. Let's remember that as a church, we are a group of Christians gathered around Christ, clothed in his gospel. And if there's non-Christians with us, we welcome we want you to be able to understand what it means to be a Christian too and to join us in living for him. So, so far all I've done is clarified some definitions around the word church. But let's be clear that as followers of Jesus, you can look at sermon outline point one, and I better build up some speed now, otherwise we won't finish before the kids. Let's be clear that as followers of Jesus, we are sinners who have been made alive by responding to the gospel of Jesus. So as Christians, part of Kemor Presbyterian Church, we're sinners who've been made alive by responding to the gospel of Jesus. Um, Reich read some of Ephesians for us before the sermon. It's a short epistle where the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in the church in Ephesus. And I reckon as you look at it, I reckon he wants them to be clear on what it means for them to be Christians, what it means for them to be united so that then they'd be motivated to keep living for Jesus and loving each other. But after the initial greeting in chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, Paul praises God for the amazing way God has worked in the Ephesians um, to see each of these people living for Jesus. So he does his greeting and he praises God for the way God has brought that about. Verse 3, 1 verse 3, he rejoices that they have every spiritual blessing in Christ. They belong in Christ. They have nothing that they lack. In verses 4 to 6, as you look through that, Paul explains that God is working on a plan that's bigger than any individual person, much bigger, and yet each individual has been included in God's plans before they were even born. And then in verses 7 to 10, Paul rehearses the incredible privilege of knowing forgiveness of sins and everything that comes with that. Um, it's part of God's plan to see everything put under King Jesus. That's what he's saying in these verses. Um, Paul has more to say about what it means to be forgiven in chapter 2. So if you look ahead in chapter 2, Paul takes, he talks there about being dead in your sin in verses 1 to 3 and being made alive in Jesus in verses 4 to 5. New life in Christ. 
That's what we have as Christians. And it's all God's doing. It's all Jesus is doing. It's given to us as a free gift, nothing that we contribute. Everything Paul says about the Christians in Ephesus, true of us as well, as Christians in Kenmore. As a Christian, uh, as a church, we're a group of people who are sinners made alive by responding to the gospel of Jesus. That means, these are the obvious things it means. It means as a church, we're not a club for people who have got their lives sorted out. We're not a club of perfect people. We are forgiven sinners continuing to battle with our sinful nature and often failing. I think it's important to keep that in mind because as forgiven sinners, we do continue that battle and we do stumble and we do cause each other grief and we do offend each other. We'll have moments when we offend, when we hurt, when we annoy. It won't be easy being a group of Christians together. And yet, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, bear with each other. As Christians, um, we are forgiven sinners. We're people whose lives are broken. And we have our struggles, the things that we're battling. We each have different battles. Um, We don't have everything sorted out. We look forward to the day when Jesus will return. And when Jesus returns, that's when we'll enjoy all the benefits of everything being right and perfect. But up till that point, we battle on with all sorts of issues and struggles and relationship breakdown. We battle on knowing that we're sinful, broken people that God has loved, that God sent his son to die for. And we battle on as people who know that God is at work in each one of us, working in us to change us. We're all in the same boat is what I'm saying. It's like we've got hazard tape on us saying construction zone, work in progress. So as you think about church, let's be clear on who we are forgiven sinners. As followers of Jesus, we're sinners who are saved by Jesus. All of us are the same. We don't have this hierarchy of of people in church, or we shouldn't. Too often you go to a church where the minister is some superhuman person. Um, I think that we kind of foster that thing that church all revolves around the minister as they shake hands at the door. It's almost like, thanks for coming to the performance or something like that. We don't think that way. We don't have a hierarchy. We're all forgiven sinners that God is at work at. Even our elders are in that same category. Trust me. We're all people that God has made alive in Jesus. So let's be clear on that simple thing. Then come back to Ephesians chapter 1 again. If you have a look at verses 11 to 13, the apostle, he's addressing Jewish Christians, people who have become Christians from a Jewish background. And he's also addressing Gentile Christians people who have become Christians having no Jewish background at all. Under Christ, he's saying the Jews and the Gentiles, when they become a Christian, they're united, they're one, they're together. And so if you look at verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He's reflecting on how, I think, the Gentiles, Christians, joined the Jewish Christians by responding to the gospel, by putting their faith in Jesus. And now they have a seal, a mark, a promise, a guarantee, the spirit at work in them. Um, Verses 13 to 14, as followers of Jesus, we, we're like these people. We have God at work in us, the seal, the promise, helping um, battle against our sinful desires. We have the spirit as the deposit working in us. But all that begins, when you look back at verse 13, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. It all begins when you hear the gospel and when, in verse 13, you believe, you put your trust in Jesus. 
the way we are made alive in Jesus is by putting our trust in Jesus, by responding to the truth of the gospel. Um, yeah, I know for those who like to be very Presbyterian, have all the details nailed down, yes, God chooses, God predestines, God saves, it's all his work. But from where we sit, we have the gospel presented in front of us and we have a very real decision to make where we trust Jesus. Um, let's be clear, we're made alive in Christ by responding to the gospel of Jesus in repentance and faith. Without the gospel of Jesus being explained to us, without the gospel of Jesus being presented to us, we can't choose to believe. We, we don't have that choice to make. It's strange, but it's the way that God works. So you don't become a Christian by just placing yourself in a seat in church on Sunday. You don't become a Christian because you were born with Christian parents. It doesn't work that way. We become a Christian when we hear the gospel, when we hear the truth about Jesus, and when we respond in repentance and faith. And yes, this is you know basic stuff, but we need to be clear on it. There's churches that I reckon uh, want to see evangelistic growth by pumping out ads on 96.5, by having amazing, exciting events to draw people in and then then tell them, oh, we're a church. Um, churches that pour time and resources into the quality Sunday performance that will draw people in. Um, churches that build the most attractive possible buildings or have the best, all these efforts they go to. We can do all that. I'm happy for us to do all those things. But if we're not putting the gospel truth in front of people, if we're not calling on people to respond, they don't have the opportunity to become a Christian. It helps to be clear. It shapes the way that we do what we do. Um, we're a gathering of sinful people. We've been made alive in Jesus by responding to the gospel. And we're already at point two, accelerating a bit here. As a group of Christians, once we become a Christian, a part of a church, what do we do? Well, we gather around Jesus and his gospel as people who belong to Jesus and want to live for him. So if you come back into chapter 1 of Ephesians and pick it up at verse 15, here you see the apostle has heard that the Ephesians have put their faith in Jesus. What does he do? Well, in verse 17, he says he prays for them, heard they become Christian, prays for them. Um, he prays that they would grow to know Jesus better. In verse 18, he says he prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul hears these people have become Christians and he prays. He prays that they would keep growing as Christians, that they'd be growing to know Jesus better, that they'd be growing to know the power of God at work in them, the same power that God raised Jesus to life again, that power at work in them. Paul prays they would grow to know Jesus better. Um, and look at, at what the apostle says in verse 22. So we're jumping down to verse 22, 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So what do we do as we continue as a church? Well, we want to keep growing. We want to be praying for each other that we keep growing, and we also want to keep grow, uh, living with Jesus as our head over us, the authority over us. Um, you look at verse 22, and you'd have to say the church is important to God. Um, God has exalted Jesus over everything 
for the church. It's incredible when you think about it. And then in verse 23, he goes on, um, exalted him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, Jesus' body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So as a church, it's saying we're Christ's body. We're part of Jesus. It's uh, a metaphor. It's picture language. Um, it's saying Jesus is the authority over us. Jesus is in charge of us. The new life that we have in Christ involves being part of his body. There's different images used for uh, to describe the church in the New Testament. So, for example, in 1, and two Peter, in 1 Peter, um, it's 1 Peter 2 rather, Peter likens the church to a spiritual home. So he likens it to a building. You think about churches as a building being built on a firm foundation. In Hebrews chapter 12, um, the church is compared to the original gathering of God's people around Mount Sinai. We're likened to that gathering around God. Um, here in Ephesians and also in 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the body picture, the fact that as Christians we are part of Christ's body, all with a part to play in this body. And so all Christians around the world and through the ages are included in Christ's body. It's a rather big body and it's a rather complex picture when you think about it. We're all included when we put our faith in Jesus. When we're made alive in Jesus, we kind of it's like we join that gathering around God. It's a massive gathering. And while we wait for Jesus to return, we keep gathering in these local outcrops like we are today. Um, this gathering here, it's like it's part of that larger gathering around Christ in heaven. And this gathering is all about Jesus, all about being gathered around Jesus. Uh, we gather as a church. With Jesus as our head, we listen to his word, we open the Bible and let him speak, we explain and, under, and apply what we read and what we, what we see there, we pray bringing all our concerns to Jesus, to God, we sing praises to Jesus and to God, we spur each other on to keep trusting in Jesus and living for him, and we show a Christ-like love for each other as we care for one another as Jesus' disciples. It's this body picture where Jesus' body, we belong to him and we want to live to him. And we continue to gather around Jesus and his gospel. It's, if you like, it's the gospel of Jesus that draws us in, that we respond to to become a Christian, and it's the gospel of Jesus that grows and changes and shapes us. Jump ahead to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is like the go-to epistle if you want to think about church. Some of our growth groups last year work your way through it. So if you jump ahead to chapter 4, verse 1, um, Paul has more to say about Jesus' body. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You get the, the gist, don't you? This big emphasis on the fact that we are united. We're one body. We're united in Christ, not by having a doctrinal statement, not by agreeing on what we're going to do for the year as a church. We're united in Christ when we become a Christian. It's like you're forced together. 
When you become a Christian, there you are, united in Christ. And so he says, bear each with each other. When he says, live out a way that's um, worthy of your calling, he starts describing the way you treat each other, bearing with each other, loving, serving. So God brings us together through the work of the gospel. We are united in Christ, and it's our job as a church to maintain that unity, not, not to create it, but to maintain it and to live it. And that will happen with lots and lots of humility in verse 2 and patience and love. Um, the body image, it continues to 4 verse 11. I realize uh, this is jumping around a lot in Ephesians. 4 verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. As you look back through verse 11, it's this list of um, teaching or word-based gifts that God gives um, that equip people in verse 12 when those gifts are used, when people are taught, and when, and when prophets prophesy, when evangelists evangelize, when apostles do their thing, when teachers do their thing, verse 12, they're equipping Christ's church for works of service or ministry, you can put in there, same word. In other words, the whole body serves, the whole body ministers, and we're equipped with these word-based gifts or by these word-based gifts. And then you get verse 13, the direction this is heading, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You can see, back to these really basic things that we've got to hang on to, you can see how important opening the Bible in church and in growth group and in youth group and in KFC Kids how important opening the Bible is, reading the Bible with a desire to seek, to understand it and apply it. Because Bible teaching, well, it matters in church. It's the thing that equips us so that we will serve and minister. Um, growing in knowledge matters. If you look at verse 14, then you'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by any cunning and craftiness of men, of people in their deceitful scheming. Um, local churches, local gatherings, that don't emphasize teaching the Bible can expect to be rocked by the latest fad, the latest ideas, or the latest crisis. But Paul's saying to the Ephesian church and to us, be growing in knowledge, growing in knowledge so you'll be mature. You won't be rocked here and there. And verse 15, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, when you've got to say, in love, speaking the truth in love, you know, sometimes that's not going to be easy to hear. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As a local church, as Kenmore Presbyterian Church, these are things we need to hear. We need to keep reminding ourselves of, we need to be clear on. Everybody plays a part in building Christ's body to maturity. We all do. There's all there's something for all of us to do. We all serve. We all minister. Um, you don't, when you're looking for a church, and if that's you today, I don't want to offend, but you don't choose a church for what you can get out of it. That will factor in. But what you're looking for is a church where you can serve, where you can minister where you can be part of the body, where you can be ministered to, where people can bear with you and speak the truth in love to you as well. Um, I've been around long enough 
um, to be able to say without any doubt that as Christians grow in maturity and knowledge, you'll see that in their service, in their humility, in their generosity. Growth in the gospel, growth in knowing God, it's plain as day. It results in a servant heart, humility. Um, Back in 4 verses 11 to 12, it's the teaching and application of God's word that will equip us all to serve in that way, to help us grow in knowledge. I think it's true to say that after a number of years here in Kenmore, that we do have a reputation for being a Bible teaching church. I think if you talk to local Christians, I think they would recognize that um, because that's what we've been seeking to do and that's what we should be doing. We ought to be a Bible teaching church because that's the way that we'll grow each other. And that's the way we'll grow and see each other serving and ministering. The teaching of God's word, it needs to shape and control everything we do. And so that's why the sermon at church on Sunday is important. That's why um, opening the Bible in growth group is important. Growth group has all those other purposes it can serve, caring for each other, caring for needs and crises and so on. But opening the Bible together, it's the heart of it. Praying and prayerfully reading the Bible, that's where you'll see growth and maturity that will lead to service. That's the thing that will keep that group together and growing. It's the same for for youth group and for KPC kids, taking the kids out so they can be taught the Bible at their level by people who have put the effort into understanding and are willing to teach the passage. Um, And that's why even as you meet one-on-one and open the Bible together and pray, God is at work in both of you. That's why we keep emphasising the importance of Bible teaching because it's the thing that builds us as Christ's body. Third and final point in the sermon outline, this flows from everything else we've said today. Um, As followers of Jesus, we want to keep growing. We want to, as a church, we want to see, we want to grow followers of Jesus. And that means specifically we want to be growing in knowing Jesus and the gospel. We want to be growing in living for him, living out that truth. And we want to be growing in sharing the gospel of Jesus and helping each other do that. And so as we hold out the gospel of Jesus, we give other people the opportunity to respond um, in repentance and faith and to be made alive in Jesus and to join us, become part of our local gathering. Quite often when you see a friend become a Christian, though, they're from the other side of Brisbane. And so we feed them into another local gathering. It's just the way it works. Um, As we continue to teach the gospel of Jesus, we want to be equipping each other to serve and to minister and build the body. And we want to see um, each other growing in humility and in patience and in love. So I think one of the advantages of being clear on who we are and what we're doing is that we should then be able to see things that we need to change as a church. There will be things that we've just been doing for years, we haven't thought about, and we may need to change. So if we're clear on who we are, we're more likely to do that. So if you can see things that need changing, say talk to myself or one of the elders. Um, But where you don't need to talk to anyone so much is with yourself as you're clear on what it means to be a Christian. Is there something you need to change, areas that you need to grow? If you're one of um, the visitors among us, whether it's because you've grown up in church and never really become a Christian or whether it's because you're new or someone's dragged you to church, do something about it. Have a chat to the person who's been keeping you coming to church or have a church uh, have a talk to myself or again one of the elders work out whether you can put your faith in jesus and start living for him um at this point if you feel like if you were here back in january 2020 
then you may feel like you've just heard a rerun of the same sermon. Good. I hope you have, because hopefully that means we're getting clearer on who we are. I did take out the illustration about the block sewer. That's from last year. But how about I pray for us um, as we think about church at the start of another new year? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would help us to be clear on who we are as a church. Lord, please continue to remind us that we are sinners who are made alive in Jesus by responding to the gospel. Lord, we pray that that truth would not be lost on us. We pray that it would generate humility and service in us as we seek to care for each other and build your body up. Lord, we pray that we would be a church that isn't just recognised as a Bible teaching church, but that, that that would be what we actually do, that we would be opening the Bible together at church and in growth groups. Lord, we pray that we would be um, seeking to grow followers of Jesus. We ask you would be at work in us, changing us with that same power by which you raised Jesus from the dead. And Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.